it didn't listen to me. It walked out of the thicket, it turned around and looked at me. They looked up and in this tree, there was a monkey man. And the monkey man jumped down out of the tree and started running away. And suddenly they're right in front of the car. He slams on the brakes and manages to stop and he's skidding because it's not quite, you know, um, gravelling. And for literally for about a second and a half, they just stood there because they don't know where to go. And you tell them panicking, they're like ripping up thing. Their, their, their face is like twitching. to Bigfoot Society, a podcast where we focus on cryptids, the strange, and the unexplained of this world. If you've got a story or something weird to share, send an email over to me at bigfootsociety at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support this show, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the Bigfoot Society. And now, on with the show. All right, Bigfoot Society, we've got Mr. Jeff Lilly. You might know him as Jeffrey Lilly if you've read any of his Bigfoot books on Amazon. But uh, Jeff was willing to come on today and to share some of his interesting uh, Bigfoot encounter stories. So, Jeff, how's it going? I'm uh, doing good. Just uh, moved this past uh, week. So things have been kind of hectic, uh, but in a good position now to where I can sit down and do this with you. You know, in the middle of everything. Perfect. Well, Jeff, I'm going to let you go ahead and uh, take it from here, and uh, let's see uh, what you've got to share with us today. Okay. Well, uh, it all started off for me um, at about the age of eight. Uh, my job each morning was to take my sister to school. You know, make sure she arrived safe and then bring her home after. Um, <clears throat> one spring uh, afternoon after school, uh, I was walking her home. We were taking a different route uh, from what we usually you know, took. Uh, so I decided to go ahead and just take Highland Avenue. It was a straight shot to the house from uh, you know, North Norwood, my local school in my hometown. Um, the thing about Highland Avenue was right across the street, directly from uh, the road itself, was a huge patch of woods that ran into uh, a line of railroad tracks that laid back in behind there. Uh, so um, I just decided to take that way because it was a shorter uh, distance to get home. You know, uh, so I was walking home one day, and uh, we as soon as we passed the. Uh, section where the woods started off. Uh, we heard a whoop and then a rock hit the street and shatter. Um, and I was kind of spooked at that, that moment. So I looked around behind me to see uh, you know, who actually threw that. Uh, I thought it was a, one of the kids at first. Um, you know, we had a lot of bullies that uh, had gone, you know, several different groups of people back in the day. Uh, but nobody was there. So uh, we turned around, continued our walk. <clears throat> Several, you know, four seconds passed by. We're walking, talking. Another woo, 
I mean loud. And then boom, another rock hits. And it, you know, just shattered, busted into pieces, uh, hit us in the legs. I remember that. Uh, and that really freaked me out. So I immediately turned back around behind again to look for, you know, kids, but we see who the you know, hell was doing it. Nobody was there. So I started to glance over and scan the woods. And sure enough, in a pocket of woods, off to, you know, uh, the northwest of me, uh, was something huge with just black, with white and gray running through it. Um, three to four inch uh, sections of layered hair or so. Uh, it's hard to make out at that time. Is that section of woods, even with the sun off, it was still kind of you know, dark back in there. But this thing was huge. Like, just I knew it was not normal to see this. And this thing, as I'm looking, this thing bobbing and weaving its head back and forth and it's shaking two trees violently. And I was freaked out. I tucked my sister to the inside of me. And I'm just going, you know, just staring at this thing, this cave, just trying to make out any details. It was hard to make details out of this thing. I could see vaguely, you know, uh, it was half, half human, half, you know, hey. Uh, so I grabbed my sister and we booked, I'm going to be this book. Uh, we was about a half block away from the house. So we hit the corner, made the turn, ran downhill to the house. And I run in and I tell my mom immediately, mommy's going to call the cops. There's a monster up there. It, it took box at us. It was crazy. I'm afraid, you know, one of these other neighborhood kids are going to get hurt. And she says to me, all you kids are full of crap. You know, just go back in your room and do your homework. Like it wasn't nothing. You know, like I was just basically lying. Uh, so I remember after that happened, you know, being freaked out for weeks. Because uh, our bedrooms that we shared were back to the back side of the, the house. And uh, the windows, and I was afraid that this thing, you know, might track us down and try to get through the window and grab one of us. So I was freaked out, you know, being eight years old. I mean, it kind of had me on edge for quite a while after that. Uh, that was my first uh, encounter of anything, you know, uh, myths, legends, you know, stuff that wasn't supposed to be real or exist. Uh, Yeah, a little bit better detail. <clears throat> but, you know, they kind of opened the door for me. And this all really was kind of like a, the way that this happened for me was kind of like a, know, like a nightmare. Uh, so several years went by, you know, it was in my teenage years. Started to really get into you know, hunting and fishing uh, all over Ohio, Kentucky, and Indiana. Uh, a good buddy of mine had bought a truck, Blue Ford Ranger. So one morning he comes to get me and says, let's set up the Lake Cowan. We're going to try something different this time. Uh, go up there and fish for some bass and musket. So I agreed to go. Then we got him. Following uh, when we went up there, Saturday. Um, got a boat before everybody else got there. We was already across the lake getting ready to fish. And I, I remember we split up. He went to the front. I went to the back or vice versa. And uh, I told him, do not cast anything. And hook me, please. Whatever you do, brother, don't. Don't hook me with nothing. 
and we're in a good spot. Soon as we both went to cast, I felt a rip and a tug at my hat, and sure enough, my best friend had put a silver chrome spoon right to my ear, all the way through the upper part of the blood. And I'm gushing blood, so, you know, immediately telling get me to the bed house, we gotta get this out, you know, I'm bleeding profusely, and it was painful. Uh, so we get back over there, and I'll never forget it, the bed house man was like, you know, I've seen that, that whole thing go down. He said, you guys are supposed to hook the fish, not each other. He said, come on in here, uh, I'll get that out for you. Well, go in, he's got a pair of snips, he gives me a wooden spoon, tells me to bite down on it, the handle of it, and this was quick poppy, pulled that, Spoon out of my ear, and you know, I said, I was ready to go home. But uh, Chris tells me, hey, you know, on the way home, he's like, uh, why don't we stop at Todd's Creek? I found a spot over there, an old farmer lets me fish his land. And there's you know, a section of Todd's Creek, and there's a bass and musky, you know, big largemouth bass and musky runs in there. So I went ahead and agreed to go. You know, I didn't want to be a, a waste of day, and Andy kind of subsided a little bit. Uh, so we park, we, uh, we, we get there, we park. Got a good 400 walk back there to get to the section where you can get into the creek itself. <clears throat> so we get back there, uh, climb to the fence. And I remember it was a beautiful area, but it was all woods for miles and miles. And I look off to the right, and there's a beautiful waterfall off to the right side of us, enter down into the creek itself. And so, what we usually did, we would wade out and fish for white bass with uh, rooster tails and you know, Viber Max spinners and stuff like that. Um, so we get out there and we wade. I'm the, I wade to the middle, off to the right side of the creek. And I found me a hole and Chris traveled on further down towards the rapids and waves. We were about 75 yards far from each other. And I remember it was a beautiful morning, still early, and I asked him, he's casting. Every few seconds, I looked down at him, make sure he was good, and I, I got to make a cast off to the right side of me. And as I got to make that, that that cast, I look up to make my you know position to you know shoot this rooster tail off, you know where I wanted to go to. And sure enough, as I look up, here comes a, a baseball sized rock coming right at me. I didn't think nothing of it at the time. Kind of froze for a second. It landed as it come in into the creek right beside me, about three feet away. Huge flash. And I'm just froze, like, wow. And I'm thinking, you know, that's time. What could do that? What could possibly do that? So I looked down at Chris and I said, man, why are you doing that? I kept up here. I said, you must care to you know? Bubba, you see my hands on both, both my hands are on the pole. You know, I didn't throw that at you. I would not throw that at you. And, any chance of uh, spooking the fish, you know, especially after driving all the way to get here. So I pause, I think, for a few seconds, and I just let it go, and we continue to fish. It wasn't even five, maybe ten minutes tops before I go to cast again, and the same thing. As I look up the cast, make my spot where I'm going to shoot this fisher tail, and sure enough, as soon as I'm casting, I look up, Another size, baseball, or even bigger, a little bit bigger, I'd say, come in right at me again. And this time landed even closer to me. And then it hit the water. Didn't hit me, but it was close. Splash right next to me. 
I immediately look down at my best friend, and he's looking at me in shock. You know, eyes are huge. We make eye contact, and we both just take off. Yeah, we're treading up out there as quick as we can. We get to this wire. To get to the bank. We get to the bank. We're both spooked, freaked out. We're trying to get up this bank, and it's a little bit of a steep incline that goes up to get it out of there to the grass. And we're both wet, and the water's coming off of us and hitting this muddy bank, and it's making it so slippery, you know, like a wet clay. We cannot get up this, this incline to get the grass to get away. And we are freaked out to the max. Now, mind you, this is the second time this happened to me. And I'd heard something the first time, but I didn't hear nothing this time. And sure enough, I mean, you know, we after about another five minutes of fighting with that slippery slope to get up out of there, we get up out of there, and we are running as fast as we can to get back to that truck. And it looks like it's just so far away, especially when you're freaked out. I finally, you know, after running a good 400 yards to get there, we throw the poles immediately into the back of the bed. He jumps in the driver's side. I run around to the passenger side, and he's inside the truck. And I try to start the truck, and he can't. He's got the keys in his hand, but he can't get the keys into the ignition. So I slapped his hand, grabbed the keys. I pushed the key into the ignition and started the truck. And then he kind of, I guess, became a little bit more, you know, coherent at that moment. And immediately through the the gear down, you know, switch it down, and peel us up out there. And needless to say, we never went back there after that, ever again. <clears throat> so, on the way home, he said, you know, what do you think of doing that? What, what, what do you think did that? And I said, buddy, I, you know, I only have an idea, you know, of what could possibly do that. But, you know, I couldn't be 100% say what it was exactly, you know. So we make the drive home, you know, uh, never went back there ever again. Now, after that, we, a few weeks later, we were going to go try to fish another area down on that 32, which was Newtown. There was a section of river there. But we've been hearing rumors about something crazy going on down there, too, with, they were saying some kind of wild man was running around at nighttime and was chasing people that were night fishing up out of their spots or camping spots. So uh, that kind of spooked us, you know, especially back in that area. Uh, so some time went by, and I hadn't fished at all for quite a while. Um, and one day, my uncle comes to the house and says, uh, hey, you know, you guys uh, maybe uh, think about going out to town with me? And, uh, We'd be trying some night fishing up there. Now, we had fished there a few times before, but never had we, you know, since we do the nighttime thing. Uh, this place was so hard to get to because you had a huge stretch of woods, but it was like a small mountain, per se. Uh, it was like, a, it said at about an 80 degree incline as you went up. And I just remember it would exhaust us so badly. Uh, you know, so we just never tried to night fish ever because of the danger. You know, 
how violent of an angle that that leg set set on. You know, was, you could only take the basics of it. You know, you couldn't pack coolers or anything like that. You could just take you know lantern poles, minnow bucket. You know, and that'd be about it. Now, I'll never forget. This was 1995. We set up. We made plans to go. We get there. Time is like permission to go. It was my uncle Mike. He was a former army ranger, and it was one of his army buddies. So we got the permission. We got out there. Um, we got out there probably about three-ish that day. Um, it was late September. I'll never forget it. Nineteen ninety-five. All happened. Um, kind of warm that day in the middle eighties, and I just remember that climb was so tough that day um, with the heat and humidity. Hit that 80 degree incline. It was a battle to get up there. Um, so, about 40, 45 minutes later, we finally get up to the top. They were on the left hand side because there was a big section of trees that overhung the left side of Lake One and it's a big pocket of shade there. So, that's when they would all water down and then they would sit in the shade. But it's cool. They didn't ever mess with us. We never messed with them. Yeah, they did their thing. They did ours. Um, so we get up there. We're fishing and we're busting up some big, big bands. Uh, they went quick because we were having, you know, a good time. We always had a good time up there because the fishing was just great up there. And there was another lake, like two. It set up a hundred yards to the north, higher. You had to climb another hundred yards to get up to the second lake. That uh, nobody would ever even attempt it because it was so hard to get to Lake One. By the time you got you know to one, you were like not even going to try to. I'm not even making that that extra climb, you know. So, but there was a huge ridge that went in between Lake One uh, and uh, Lake Two, and it went back towards the downward slope and it rose up about another good thousand feet and then wrapped around to the the very front side of Lake Two. And then north, like I said, was a you know, that hill that went up about 100 yards. And then to the right, there was a big opening. It was forested, a lot of trees, but some had been taken down or fallen. And you could see a clear path that shot down to the Miami Whitewater River, the forest area. <clears throat> the cows usually go down there of the evening and then sit there, you know, or even sleep there and water down. Um, so the day went pretty quick. Mine hit us. Everybody's making the, the switch over to bobbers and, and hooks because uh, we took them in a, you know, for crappie fishing. Tom told us there was some big crappie in there. Um, so we decided that's what we were going to do when the bass quit it. So everybody makes the tie over. Uh, it's on us. You know, night came quick. So I lit the lantern, um, put it right in the middle of the front part of Lake One so everybody could see. We all spread out, you know, about 15, 20 yards apart from each other. And we you know, give each other a little space to be able to camp. Well, about about midnight, between 12 and 1, I could hear something start to come down off that ridge on the left-hand side of it. It would move, take a couple steps, you know. You could hear the actual steps. It's kind of like you know, a trot. Boom, boom, stop, boom, boom, stop. I thought it was a deer, you know, uh, 
we all did actually. It wasn't that loud, you know, so we didn't think about that, but we just thought deer, you know, and we all just kept all fishing. Well, uh, a couple hours went by, didn't hear nothing else, you know, from that, that side. Uh, we're all crappie fishing, talking, and all of a sudden, you hear what sounds like a, it sounded to me like a baby it was whining, you know, just whining out. Um, my Uncle Mike even heard it and said, at one point, I remember him saying, do you hear that? What is that to you? I go, yeah, I hear it. What do you think it is? And he said, well, I don't know, it sounds like a baby crying, but that's what it sounds like to me. He said, well, why don't you go check that out? <laughs> so, I, uh, Grab my pole. I know a spot that's over on that side anyway, where I'm hearing this, this sound. And I make the walk over to the left side of the lake. You know, uh, oh, I forgot about telling you about the, the cow. Uh, about, about midnight, the cows got up and left out of nowhere and took off on us. Uh, I don't know why they did, you know, but they did. Uh, so, like I said, after all that went down, I'm making the walk around to the left side of this lake, lake one. And I'm round and I got the land in my hand, I got my pole in the other. As I make the turn, I raise the land so I can't probably see. It's so dark up there. Uh, I'm raising my light and I see something squatted down next to the lake. And it's got its hand in the lake. Like it's getting a drink of water. Now I raise, as I raise this light, this thing, I guess realizes it's got light on it. So it starts to turn its head. And as it does, I see its eyes, and they glow like uh, uh, a shade of yellow, not too intense. But it just was so shocking at that moment. This thing starts to raise its hand about the water, it's turning its head. I can see the water, you know, fall off its hand and fall back into the lake. Now, as soon as we make eye contact, full on, this thing lets out. The lowest grumbling growl I had ever heard in my life. It rattled. I remember it rattled my chest immensely. And this total fear and shock took me over at that moment. This thing was squatted down you know, beside the lake, and it was almost as tall as me. You know, I was 5'8. Uh, I just remember this thing being four and a half. Five feet squatted down. Uh, a cinnamon brown color. Same, but its hair or fur was the same. It was layered. I didn't smell anything at all whatsoever. There was no smell in either one of my encounters. There was never smell. Uh, but I remember I could hear my Uncle Mike as I started to slowly come, come back to it. Saying, what is it? Do you see that? What is that? Well, I look over, and this thing has a baby doe held down by the throat, kicking. This thing is violently kicking, trying to get free. That's what I think shocked me the most. I just could not believe at that moment I was seeing what I was seeing. Because, you know, everybody you talk to says these things don't exist. They're a myth or a legend. You're crazy if, if you ever say you see them. I know what I've seen, but at that time, I was thinking, what the hell am I 
you know, I even asked myself at one point, subconsciously, man, am I in a Hollywood movie scene? This just nothing about this situation is is bright. Yeah, am I going crazy? What is going on? I could not believe I was seeing what I was envisioning. It was insane. And this thing, this baby doe deer was not getting away. It, it was over for that thing. It was not getting away. But now me and this thing, and it was Bigfoot right there in that moment. Uh, it wasn't a, a, a huge, you know, it wasn't as big as the one I'd seen before. The one I'd seen before was probably pushing you know, seven. Seven good seven hundred pounds. Uh, this one four fifty five hundred tops. But I just remember the cinnamon brown and the arms, the length of the arms, the sagittal crest of the head. It wasn't um, as intense as I've seen on you know. Looking back now on on mostly the adult pictures that I've seen, um, it's intense. You know, it's like this. This Bigfoot's head was not, uh, the skull wasn't as, uh, you know, huge, as big, uh, but you can still see it. So I just considered it, you know, at that point, it, this thing's got to be probably a juvenile. You know, it wasn't that big, but it was still pretty impressive. Uh, but I just remember this thing, you know, uh, it would look at me and then look to the woods. But it would not take off, you know. As you would hear in most other stories, this it would you know bolt off when you take off and try to hide. This thing, I guess, because it had a deer, I guess it had hunted this thing, you know. It was in a showdown with me, I guess, you know, that it wasn't going to leave without taking its catch with it. Um, but I just remember, I, you know, slowly came back to reality a little bit. I could hear my uncle at that point saying, what is, what is And I said, run, bolt now. And I took off. And they took off. And I, I hit the side of this mountain. I jumped off the side of it. And I hit the slope, the down slope, running. And they were right behind me. They weren't far behind me at all, trust me. And I'm raising the light to see, you know, where we're going. I'm trying to guide myself and them. Because there was down trees and rocks and stuff everywhere. And so as I'm raising a light to light up the spot, you know, so we can see where the hell we're going, I kind of slowed down a little bit. And when I did, they hit me from behind, you know, out of fear. And we just all tumbled down like bowling pins all the way down the side of the slope. It seemed like forever. Uh, rolling and banging into trees and you know, pieces of rock. And, uh, finally come to a stop and everybody's you know winded they're breathing heavy and they're in shock every one of us is in shock but I go to get up to make them run again and I can't even get my feet underneath me to get up and go and this went on for five minutes I don't know if it was fear I don't know uh you know, shock maybe, but I just remember none of us could get our feet underneath us for like a good three to five minutes after we made that, you know, that fall. Um, 
And I just remember at that moment, like, man, it's over. You know, this thing will come out of some nowhere and get us, or there's more of these things that are going to come out of nowhere and just take us, it's over, you know? Uh, that's how bad this scared me. It was the most frightening moment of my life, you know? Uh, it was insane. Finally, we get up. We finally get our feet from our rings as we get down to the bottom of the hill. And Tom, as we hit his parking lot, he comes out of the house and he said, What the heck is all that rap going on there? And my Uncle Mike walked over to him, uh, winded, as we all were. Uh, he says, oh, We're good, Tom. You know, something just spooked us up there. Tom said, I was wondering what the hell was going on. I can hear you all screaming. Oh, I'm coming down that mountain. Uh, so, uh, we all get up in this parking lot. Uh, and we're all in a circle. And they're asking me, what did you see? What was that? What did you see? I said, you know what I saw? You, you guys had to have seen it. I put the light right on that thing. I know what I saw. Um, and I remember my uncle Mike saying, well, yeah, come on. We got to talk this one out. We cannot put this out there. If we let this be known, you know, uh, people are going to come out and try to hunt these things, this thing, these things, you know. Um, and it'll be chaos on Tom's land. It'll upset him. He probably won't let us come back and fish anymore. Uh, so in that moment, my uncle was trying to make, you know, get us to make a pack, you know. Uh, well, then here come a neighbor that lived a few hundred yards over from Tom. Uh, I remember him coming down and saying he'd heard all the same, you know, ruckus going on. Um, he'd actually called a state trooper. So state trooper come over. Um, we tell him about what I'd seen uh, to the T. Described it in full description. Because uh, I knew what I'd seen. I didn't care. Uh, and I knew it wasn't crazy. And the first thing the state trooper said was, you know what? I get it. We get these calls all the time. Usually this time of year is when they start to pour in. He said, uh, the thing is here. Is, you know, it's been quite some time since all this has happened. Do you really want me to make that climb all the way up there to check this out? And I said, well, there's no sense. There's nothing now because, you know, some time has gone by. This thing's probably gone by now. Hell, it probably left when we bolted down the hill, you know, because it didn't chase us. So um, he did take the report, uh, but he never went up there. Um, so we get our, you know, composure back together and get back over to the parking lot and we're get married, rock and roll, and get us out of there. And I remember Michael Mike saying it again. You know, we got to keep this a secret. Please promise me you guys all keep this a secret. And made us all promise to keep it a secret, you know, to not say anything, which I didn't. You know, nobody did uh, for over 20 years. Um, Michael Mike went back to get the gear the next day, everything that we dropped and lost on the way down. Um, but he, he went back on with a pistol, you know, because 
uh, service weapon. So he said, you know, uh, but we never went back with him and we never went back there and fished it uh, after that moment. Uh, I just knew at that moment, you know, I knew what I had seen and there was no way I was going back up there to fish ever again. It didn't matter how good the fish was. I wasn't going. <laughs> um, <clears throat> and I did. I kept it a secret for a long time, over 20 years, um, until I uh, had a few life-altering moments. You know, I lost my, my father, my brother, my mother, all back to back to back from each other in just a few months' time. And it really, you know, just made me rethink life. And then my fiance, she had a, been diagnosed with a bad blood, long time of disease uh, that was deteriorating her lungs. So I said, I want her one day. And she told me just to let it out and go, you know, let it all go and get it out. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Uh, so I did several interviews, you know, trying to push for the truth. Uh, I even wrote a couple books. Which helped me get to the death of you know, my family members. Um, so now I'm at a pretty good place in life, you know. Um, this wow, kind of, what a story, for sure. Yeah. Um, the coolest thing is that you working through your story by writing the books has helped you reclaim life, and yeah, that yeah. that is really cool. Yeah. I mean, you know, I had. I had a few more things happen, but they were just, you know, they were never really close at all to what I've experienced. I just always wanted to tell about, you know, the things that I've actually seen, you know, um, mm. it's because there's so many people that just don't even have a clue that these things really do exist, but they really do. I mean, uh, you know, as most, you know, big, big researchers, you know, will say. Not everybody can be lying, you know. Um, but for me, it didn't never matter to me what people thought of me, you know. I was just really trying to keep the secret because, you know, you know, my father and his brothers, you know, my uncles, they were pretty rough on me. Uh, they kind of bullied me as well when I was growing up, you know, as a young. Um, so I always had that little bit of fear over me. You know, they always had that, they always maintained that, that fear element over me. So I kind of, you know, felt that played a huge part in me keeping a secret for all those years. You know what I mean? But now, since I've even let that go, like, I've been trying to get a, a documentary film set up uh, with Jason Humber, you know, because um, I write with Zombie Media Publishing as well. Uh, I've written 12 or 13 books with them, you know, several of them about Bigfoot as well. But they are into doing documentaries about Bigfoot, you know. And um, so I was recently talking to Jason. He does the uh, Searching for Sasquatch, one through seven-ish, I think now, maybe even eight. Uh, searching for Sasquatch, you know, uh, shooting for the truth, you know, is what he's doing. Um, he goes all over you know, the country and does documentary films in hot spots, you know. And he really even wanted to go back up to Tom's, you know, and uh, maybe even shoot a documentary about that that encounter as well. Because um, here's the thing, you know, I forgot to tell you, but Tom had told us uh, at one time that 
because he used to go up the lake on a quad, you know, because his health is just pretty, you know, depleted pretty daily. And he had told us that he'd found a couple of deer up there off to the right side where he would ride his quad up. He had found a couple buck deer, you know, big bucks with their heads broken and their, their chins were, you know, you know I mean, something like something like grabbed their necks, broken them and then placed their chins upon their backside on their back. Oh, wow. But he never even said anything about it until after the fact. That's what shocked me, you know? Like, it just, <laughs> I wish he would have said something beforehand, you know? Like, I would have never even made that trip, you know? I mean, uh, and now you hear about it all the time. I mean, that's what they do. I mean, they do feed on deer, and that's exactly what they do to them. You know what I mean? That's the first thing they do. So, and then, you know, sometimes they'll even you know, break their legs. Which is kind of inhumane, but you know, like they're half human and half ape is my that's my belief on the whole thing. You know what I mean? Uh, but I believe they they had more of us in them than they do anything else. I mean, they are just uh, very evasive, evasive, very defensive, very methodical, and you know everything that they do. I mean, like you know, from the times moment on that mountain forward. Um, even though I didn't let the secret out, I did research for many, many years, you know, um, and I didn't even bring up <laughs> the, um, after all this went down, you know, and I'd written my first two books, I took the approach of maybe, you know, just doing a kid's book first and then doing an adult book second, you know, and just kind of slowly bring it into play, you know, about my, my encounters. Um, we took it a break and took a vacation down in Kentucky. <clears throat> uh, my good buddy, Tim Regal, his mom and dad had moved down there because his dad had just retired from uh, General Motors in Indiana. And we made a trip down home to go fishing for a couple of days. And I remember when we got down there, the following morning, uh, as we were making the walk over from his brother Jonathan's to his, his mother and father's, we had booked down and Tim had actually found a deer leg that had been, it looked like it had been spun, grabbed and spun and spun, and, you know, like it was, until it finally had just been run completely and just popped off of the body. That's how the cartilage was on this deer leg. Um, that was crazy to me when we seen that. And I took pictures of that, but that phone got broke soon after the fishing trip. Um, and then, so later on that morning, we went down and uh, we're fishing. Uh, I believe it was Monroe Lake down there. Uh, and when we got there, it was uh, up on the ridge up above me while we were trying to back the boat in. Uh, I was guiding Tim's dad to get the boat into the water, and something, a rock, had been thrown off from up off uh, the ridge up above us. And then, uh, I didn't, you know, we just let that go. I didn't say nothing to nobody, but then we get in and we're fishing the opposite side of the lake. Um, and out of nowhere, a boat passes us and waves hit us. And then the waves calm down. And all of a sudden you hear this huge pop, like something took a tree and just, you know, a fresh tree and just broke it, popped it, pushed it straight over. And it hit the ground and it sounded like a missile. And it scared us so bad, man. We jumped off the boat, you know. Um, we went, you know, while on this boat in the water, jumped off, 
and everybody landed back on the boat. And luckily, none of us went into the water. But that really shocked the crap out of us that day. Wow. And then after that, we decided to, to go on home that uh, better that weekend on a Sunday. And I remember we uh, got to Berea, Kentucky. And I looked up on this huge mountainside, and it's a top. It was a huge crew up there. And they, I guess they were doing a deforestation, you know, deforestation. I kind of hate to pronounce it. But they were knocking all the trees down off this mountainside. And they had cleared the whole hillside, um, I guess, to make a new piece of highway or uh, you know, something was going on. Then as we were making that drive, and I'm looking up to the right up, up on the top of that mountaintop, all of a sudden my buddy Tim looks over to me and says, whoa, you got to check this out. And he grabs his hand and puts it on my shoulder, and I look over his way, and to the left of me, the opposite side of the highway from the highway build, there was about a 100-yard stretch as we went up through there at about six, six and a half feet. For a hundred yards straight, were tree breaks, clean tree breaks, clean as a whistle, straight all the way up the highway road, just off to the left of the, you know, to the left of the road, in a straight line for a hundred yards. And we took pictures of them too. You know, I mean, as we were going up through there, and I knew right there that they they'd done upset the balance. You know, what I mean, with with taking all the trees down up there off that mountainside. Something that went over to the left and made tree breaks, and I guess marked their territory, like, don't come to this side. You're good over there, but don't come over here. You know, so uh, that was, in that moment, my buddy became a believer. <laughs> and so, um, but, you know, by that time, I'd already known what was going on. So it just kind of, you know, it was just another little incident to me. I mean, because I'd actually seen the full-on tree. So. Hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you had that incident before, and I would imagine that would be, enough for anyone once they've they've seen that if if he ends up making that documentary on that area would you go back with him if he asked you to yes sir filming yeah i mean we've, we've already talked about it several times um and even my my publisher my boss man thomas markham sure. um big big he's a he's huge in the bigfoot world uh 2014 2015 um film of the year researcher of the year um he wants to get you know he's also my publisher um, he wants to get involved in it too. So we're really trying to make a push, the three of us, to go out here and get and do this documentary. We're really trying to make it happen. Um, I would it's, awesome. it's my dream. You know what I mean? Um, I would love to get back up there with them and do this. Thank you for listening to Bigfoot Society. If you like the show, please review and rate it five stars on iTunes. Hit the share button and send this episode to all your friends on social media. Subscribe to Bigfoot Society wherever you listen to podcasts. It doesn't cost a thing. Pick up a Bigfoot Society shirt or enamel pin over on our Etsy page and people will tell you all about their Bigfoot sightings when you wear it. At least that's what people tell us. That's what happens. If you'd like to become an official member of Bigfoot Society with a membership card, a community of like-minded individuals, and extra content each month, then please consider becoming a supporter of the podcast by going to www.patreon.com forward slash the Bigfoot Society. Thanks for listening.